Hello, everyone. I'm Oliver Turner, the Executive Vice President of Corora Resources, uh, here to talk to Matt on Crux Investor. Corora Resources is an Australian producer uh, focused on Western Australia. We have three assets feeding a centralized mill, uh, Beta Hunt, Higginsville, and Spargos. We produce about 120,000 ounces of gold uh, this year. That's the midpoint of our guidance, expanding to 200,000 ounces a year by 2024. Hi, Oliver. Uh, long time no speak. Um, hope you are well. Um, we just want to catch up with you. Um, we saw the um, consolidated um, gold production guidance uh, come out. I just want to talk to you about that, but I also want to talk to you about nickel. Is, are we going to see uh, Carora Nickel Company uh, soon? Yeah, it's a good thing we kept the Royal Nickel Corporation name. You know, we're just going to pivot back to that. No, I, I kid. We are very excited about the nickel. Obviously, we're hitting some tremendous grades there, and we all know the excitement in the market uh, right now. So those will be some significant byproduct credits, and we'll certainly uh, update you a little bit more on the nickel opportunity as we uh, get through the interview. But it is very, very exciting. It, it is exciting, especially in this environment. Hit 100,000 uh, bucks at the beginning of this week. Didn't mm -hmm. expect that, did you? <laughs> I think if anybody's expecting it, they'd probably be retired by about now. So uh, no, we were, we were pretty happy to see it uh, and certainly expect it to stabilize at higher prices than it was previously. Uh, and we'll be leveraging that, uh, that price uh, appreciation, certainly uh, with Bait Hunt, of course. Okay. Well, like, um, I think you guys are off um, doing the rounds at the moment, talking, talking on lo lots of um, uh, shows and you're talking at lots of conferences. And I, th I think you're, you're banging out the story uh, quite well there. Sh share prices crept up. Um, re, you know, really, really um, well recently uh, helped with the fact that mm -hmm. you're also a producer, clearly, and gold price is doing its thing for you. So all good. And when we met in 2019, you kind of laid out the plan and you've been delivering that plan ever since. So I'm expecting this year is going to be pretty much the same. But I want to, I just want to very quickly run through that for people who might be interested in that. Because the thing I think is of real interest and something that might be worth understanding is the uh, Net Zero Company um agreement that you've got and I want to understand why it's important to mm -hmm. you and why it's important to the industry. So let's let's kick off with the kind of consolidated uh, gold production guidance first of all. Uh, it yeah. came out a few weeks ago. What can you tell us? Yeah, absolutely. So we did recalibrate our 2022 guidance. Uh, very importantly, 23 and 24 remain the same, still on that path up to 200,000 ounces per year by 2024. But in 2022, what we did was we widened the range on ounces a little bit. Um, we decreased the top end by about 5,000 ounces. And that was really a reflection of the current state of affairs in Western Australia. And honestly, you can expand that to, to any mining company in any jurisdiction. Everybody knows about supply chain uh, uh, restrictions that are impacting the entire industry. But specifically in Western Australia, we talked about this a lot last year and we delivered on very, very strong guidance last year, right at the top end of our guidance, actually. What we wanted to do ahead of uh, reiterating our guidance this year was talk to our top vendors and get a sense for where they're seeing cost escalation. Of course, nobody is immune. We do consume uh, several things in the mining industry. We are at the mercy of the labor markets as well. So we went out to our top vendors, had discussions with them, and we were seeing input on input cost increases anywhere from about 7 to 15%. So we ended up recalibrating on the cost side by about 12%. And that really is uh, something we're seeing right across the industry. Almost all of our peers in Western Australia recalibrated guidance. And quite frankly, we probably would have been uncomfortable going out there with the same guidance, knowing that we're facing increased cost pressures this year. Not only that, the labor market. You heard us talk about it all last year. I'm not going to go through it all in terms of availability and assay turnaround times, that kind of stuff. But suffice to say, to, to recruit anybody uh, you know, of the top level talent, we like to recruit it. 
uh, Koror in Western Australia has been incredibly difficult over the past uh, year and while all these COVID restrictions have remained in place. So we decided to increase our cost expectations a little bit, all within the original guidance range. So you're not seeing the midpoint of guidance really shift that much and you're not seeing analyst expectations shift that much, but just to make sure that we capture any potential, you know, continued pressures over the course of this year. Um, coincidentally, you know, things always happen uh, when you least expect them. Uh, you're just a few days after we announced that uh, revised guidance, which we're very comfortable with. Um, the governor of, of Western Australia um, then came out and uh, opened up the borders. So as of March 3rd, you can now enter and exit Western Australia uh, interstate without a mandatory quarantine period in a hotel. And why is that impactful? It's impactful because up to 40% of the workforce that works in the Western Australian mining industry comes from other parts of the country and comes from just outside of the country. So that labor force has been held captive for over, I believe it was 627 days, believe it or not. Um, outside of the country, and now they are able to come back in and come to work. So some of the tremendous uh, inflation on on salaries and input cost pressures we've seen, we expect that to alleviate. Look, it's not going to be a light switch. You don't click that on, and you know the problem is solved. There's going to be a lag here. Uh, you know, called three to six months, maybe longer. But we're very happy that that pressure is is now starting to come down a little bit, or we expect it to come down. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens over the course of this year. One other area you did mention it right at the beginning that we included for the first time ever in our 2022 guidance, of course, was our payable nickel production guidance. We can get into that in a little bit, but that's the first time we've explicitly stated nickel guidance as Corora. Obviously, Royal Nickel Corporation had a history of producing uh, just a bit of nickel, but um, but yeah, we're uh, we're very comfortable with where we are now. Okay, so let's talk, I want to get into the balance sheet. Okay, so... Um, but before we do, I want to know what numbers we should be looking at because one of the one of the you know four targets you set itself in terms of cost reductions was around royalties, vendors, GNA, and the ASIC, right? ASIC that the the the, the fabled one thousand dollar mark uh, US uh, is something that people look for, right? They want you, yep. they want you to be below that that magic number. But with inflation in all its guise in all its guises and across your uh, operational costs. Is there a new number we should be recalibrating to? Is that what we should be thinking about? Or do you think you're still going to be able to aim for that target? Yeah, we're, we're, we're still right around it. So our new ASIC guidance is 950 to 1050. Um, so, you know, the midpoint of that guidance is around that $1,000 an ounce mark. Um, you know, there certainly is uh, some potential for movement there with the, the recent nickel price, uh, you know, acceleration that we saw. Um, you know, in our guidance, our internal budgeting, we use what is now probably deemed a very, very conservative price of $16,000 US per ton nickel. Uh, you know, I, I have, it, we've been on this call for about four or five minutes now. Uh, you know, I haven't looked up spot nickel. I'm sure it wasn't where it was at the beginning of the uh, the conversation. But, uh, you know, there's some healthy margin uh, or additional margin, I should say, there on the nickel uh, production side. You know, at, at $1,600 an ounce, or sorry, per ton, it's about $60 an ounce for, for midpoint of our guidance this year. Um, if you move up into the low 20s, you're adding another $40 an ounce. So, um, midpoint of guidance is still around that thousand ounce mark. There's some there's some ability to have the nickel flow through there as well. Of course, as we just mentioned, we expect some of these pressures to alleviate over the course of this year. So, um, you know, is uh, sub one thousand still within uh, uh, the possible range this year? Absolutely. And gold too, doing you a favor. 
yeah, 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 it's not it's not hurting us. That's for sure. It's not hurting you at all. Um, <laughs> but I but I think but, but I think the interesting thing is that um, investors need to recognize. Obviously, producers are going to be the main beneficiaries because there's actual cash going through to the bottom line. Um, it's right. a question of what you decide to do with that. So, um, what is the cash position at the moment? And just again, remind us for for those, those interested. You know, what is the focus for this year in terms of you know you're working towards this two hundred thousand uh, ounce a year producer at some point. You know. End of 23, 20, 20, 24, who, who knows? Um, what are you targeting? What's important to you this year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, so this year, uh, we had, we exited the uh, 2021 with uh, about $91 million on the balance sheet. We uh, we you know put that number out previously. We will be updating the market with our full uh, 2021 financials on Monday of next week. So that'll include everything you know, from earnings to, to our, our cost for the year. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, but with respect to this year, um, look, we're entering uh, a year of, of development and construction and expansion. So this is going to be a, a year of cash consumption. Um, we are well underway with our uh, second decline. Uh, we've begun that from both underground and now surface. So we began uh, from underground about a month and a half ago. And, you know, we are romantics at Aurora. So we got the construction work started off at uh, surface on Valentine's Day with our con- with our, our contractors. So they were uh, you know thrilled about that, of course. But uh, we're attacking it from both directions, of course. And the idea is that they will meet in the middle. Um, that is on schedule. In fact, it's a slightly ahead of schedule, but on schedule, uh, it's very much on budget. We budgeted $45 million Australian for that second decline. So that's well underway. On the milling side, remember that's the other component of this expansion plan to 200,000 ounces per year. We're expanding from 1.6 to 2.5 million tons per annum. Um, the advanced engineering or value engineering, depends on which part of the world you live in, um, is, is nearing completion here. We're uh, just about at the point where we'll start ordering long lead time items. So on track and on schedule there as well. As a reminder to everyone on the call, about $55.0 million Australian there. So everything is tracking very well with respect to what to expect over the course of this year. Um, you and our natural sort of pit sequencing and, and our benching at, at some of the, the earlier stages of Spargos um, do expect the, the production to be at back end weighted again. Uh, we will be getting into higher grades towards the end of this year. So the first two quarters will not be the same as the last two quarters of this year. But as I said at the beginning of the call, very comfortable without 110 to 135 uh, 5,000 ounce guidance. Um, so things are tracking very, very well there. On top of all this, you know, one of the benefits of being a highly cash generative producer is the $20 million of expiration uh, that we have to spend there. You know, we can increase that based on success as well uh, in a very enviable position there. So the drills uh, remain turning furiously. I'm sure we'll touch on some of the nickel a little bit later on, uh, but expect that news flow to continue. Other things to watch out for that are they're coming up in the near term. By the end of the first quarter, we'll have our gold resource update. Um, obviously, the focus is going to be on beta hunt. That Larkin zone we talked about on many interviews last year will be in resource for the first time ever. And then by mid-year or the end of the second quarter, we will actually be updating on nickel as well. So we'll have an updated nickel resource, which will include our first estimates at the 50C, 10C, and 30C zone. So two good uh, updates there um, that'll help uh, you know build the uh, the base for the future and for expanded production as we move forward. Okay, and you've also been significantly increasing the reserves too, which I'm not... Yeah, there do, will be. Do you think you're getting credit for course. that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, you know, it, it's interesting. It depends. Uh, you know, most analysts, uh, especially those with the technical background, will will obviously model your reserves, and then they'll model a percent conversion of your resources. And those that understand the geology, this deposit, and when I say this deposit, I really am focused on beta hunt here. Uh, just how repeatable these shear zones are. Look, the 
perfect example of that is Larkin. Larkin, we, we discovered for the first time ever in September of 2020, after we rolled off that Mavericks royalty, here we are, you know, a year and a half later, and that's going to be a chunky addition to resources. That is very fast. That's drilled off over one kilometer in strike length and 150 meters of vertical extent. That would take several years to do in an underground mine. And it would cost tens of millions of dollars of development in order to drill that off. Because we have that development in place, we're able to move the drill along and drill it off systematically. And now it's in resource. So the reason why I'm discussing that is because analysts that understand the geology of this deposit will then take a look at, okay, we see structure extending for this much further. Based on past success, we believe there are more gold ounces here, even than in resource today. And they will bring those into their model, which drives their valuation. So the analyst community um, does get this, especially those with a technical background. Um, you know, some investors that maybe aren't as, as well versed in the, in the mining space tend to look at just reserves and deplete those. Uh, but, you know, it is an underground operation. We'll always have a rolling reserve life. We'll never have a 30-year mine life in underground operation. It's not an open pit. It doesn't work the same way. Um, but replacing those ounces every year is something we are able to do very systematically. And you'll see it again this year. Net of depletion, ounces will go up. Okay. And you're a billion-dollar company. That's good news. Uh, so how yeah, does a billion-dollar... Yeah, it's It's good, right? Yeah. It feels good. Um, yeah. But how does a billion-dollar company behave? You know, for instance, you know, in, the past, in the past, you've had your, you know, significant debt when perhaps it was a strain on, on, on the business. Is it good to have some kind of debt component going forward, or are you throwing enough, enough cash off that you perhaps not a consideration? Yeah. So uh, one of the things you have to you always have to look at, and I think we've done this since the beginning of the sort of new management team taking over at Corora, is you always need to uh, you know uh, enjoy the the good times, uh, but plan for the worst, right? So when it comes to having a strong balance sheet, obviously we're sitting here on ninety million dollars of cash, but as we talked about during that cash buildup over the last couple of years, we have a really good use for it the growth plan, right? That is going to add a lot of value for current shareholders. Um, and look, we're thrilled about the gold price where it is today. Um, and we're thrilled about the nickel price where it is today. But if we arrive you know, at the, at the beginning of 2023 and you know, the world is a different place and we all know based on the last several weeks how quickly uh, you know, global situations can change and how quickly metal prices can change and metal prices have pulled back. We, that's not our view that that will happen, but as a business and as a mature business, we always need to plan for that. So the best time to strengthen and bolster your balance sheet is when times are good because your cost of capital is lower, both on debt, both on equity, um, no, no matter what, it's, it's a good time to make sure that you're in a rock solid place so that when things roll over in the future, and it's when, not if, so it might be five years from now, it might be two years from now when, when global financial situations change, you are not then going out to financing because you made a decision earlier to use your hard earned cash to eliminate something that you could actually carry pretty well. So we've, we've talked about uh, uh, refinancing the debt. We are going to refinance the debt. We're in obviously in conversations. Those conversations have been going on for, for quite a period of time. Um, you know, the credit markets have obviously shifted with what's happened with global events. Um, when we put out that growth plan, that was something that allowed us to go back to our lenders and renegotiate at better rates. So we will have a lowered cost of capital on the debt side and a certain component of debt. You look at any large institution out there, and even if they eliminate that they quickly add some back on because it is actually a good use. You got to look at your total cost of capital as an organization and how best to leverage that. Cash is very, very precious. You always want to conserve cash and deploy that into opportunities where you can get two or three X your money. If you deploy cash into a, let's say, you know, a, a low coupon debt facility, is that really a multiple in your money? Probably not. That cash can probably be better used somewhere else. Okay. So in terms of risk, risk assessment, I'm um, hedging. 
right? You, you have used that in the mm -hmm. past. You've got to have a view on what the market's going to do, but at the same time, you need to be aware of potential risk, jurisdictional, global geo geopolitical events, et cetera. Is that part of the uh, strategy going forward? Yeah, so when we had uh, you know those original hedges with the purchase of the Higginsville mill, um, you know the context we've talked about this uh, many times, but the you know the company was in a very different financial situation. You know, less than a million dollars in cash in the balance sheet. Um, you know, negative uh, eight million dollars in working capital. Uh, believe it or not, um, you know, it was definitely in a tough situation. Situation. So Cortland, who is our provider for the the uh, acquisition debt at that point in time, it was a great facility. Um, very few covenants. Um, security was light. Um, it didn't have a lot of hooks or bells and whistles. It wasn't what we call in the industry a loan to own facility, which a lot of other people were there to provide. Um, so we've held that you know that piece of paper uh, with Cortland, and we are obviously looking to to refinance it. Um, but that came with some some hedging requirements, and we were in a very different gold price environment at that point in time. And at that point in time, trying to refurbish a mill that had been turning for a while and get into a better, uh, you know, better condition. Here we are today, obviously at great gold prices. Everybody you know, sees $2,000 an ounce and their eyes, you know, get, get, get larger. Um, locking that in is certainly something that if I were building a brand new project and we were not cash flowing right now, would absolutely be locking that in. But because we have a strong free, uh, cash flow profile, because we have $90 million in balance sheet, uh, because we have the ability to refinance our debt and carry a potential standby facility as backup, we're not looking at hedging today. Certainly not on our primary metal with gold. Um, you know, portfolio managers, retail investors, they use us as a as you know as a leverage to the gold price as a way to to uh, to expose themselves to gold in their portfolio. If they wanted to lock in a certain gold price, they could do that you know with their own futures and their own portfolio. So we want to be fully leveraged to the gold price, um, and uh, you know we're very secure with where we are today with our growth plan. Okay, we're nearly at the nickel, but. But we're not there yet. Um, yeah. You only asked three times. Uh, ASX. That was that was a conversation last year. I, I, I kind of missed the discussions on that. What 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 was the thinking not to do it? Uh, yeah, I mean we've we've been on on the cusp of an ASX listing multiple times over the last couple of years. Um, obviously, a strong appetite there as well. Um, when you start to think about an ASX listing, um, there's there's one way of doing it, and then there's the right way of doing it. So there's something called a compliance listing. So we could go over there tomorrow. And you know, there's two major windows you want to hit, but we could go over there tomorrow and do a compliance-based listing that would basically have no liquidity whatsoever. It would sit there idle. Um, you know, all real trading would migrate over to the parent exchange, which would be the Toronto Stock Exchange. You know, where, where all of our liquidity is and, and increasing liquidity, uh, especially as we get towards that billion-dollar mark. Um, and then there's another way. Uh, another way, of course, is to generate a real liquidity on an ASX listing, which involves raising capital in the ASX. So we got to think to ourselves: Do we have an additional use for capital, right? Uh, what kind of projects could we accelerate by raising additional capital? So that's something that over the last year and a half, we've gone over several times. And with that cash that's been added on the balance sheet and with you know this growth plan that we've been working towards, we realized we're well capitalized for that. Now, are there other projects that have you know high return thresholds that we could potentially raise capital for? Yes, there are, but that's a decision that we make internally. Uh, and you know, if and when we decide to do that, and that is a if, that's not a when, um, you know, we'll we'll come to market with with a suggestion, and that will be to bring value that's currently in out years that we do not have the capital to deploy into today accelerate that by bringing that forward today to enhance returns today. So something we're thinking about all the time, uh, but not something that uh, we're going to do just for the sake of doing it. Okay. Let's leave gold. Let's go to nickel. I um, saw the press release um, talking specifically about um, uh, extending the 50C zone. Um, mm -hmm. High grades, good intervals. Um, 
how aggressive are you going to be with this? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that is a project that we are uh, reviewing for acceleration right now. Um, we're allocating as many people as we can into that zone. If you if you even take a step back, and, and we will focus on the nickel, obviously, and look at the 50C, but mostly that area south of the Gamma Island Fault as what we're calling the Gamma Block. So when you start to think about return on investment and you start to think about where can I put my dollars in this business and get the most dollars out of it, that gamma block is a highly, not only prospective, but potentially profitable block. That is probably the most interesting economic block that we have uh, in the entire business and, and no disrespect to other parts of the business, but right now that is very, very interesting, both with respect to nickel and to gold. Remember that we did discover some high grade gold. We drilled a you know, 40 gram intercept just below that 50 C area. Surprise, surprise, just like everywhere else in, in beta hunt, you have nickel sitting on top of gold, right? It's repeating again. Uh, so there is gold potential there. We are a gold focused company. We will be going there if the uh, gold proves itself out to extract that gold. Coming back to the nickel. So what's really interesting about the 50 C is you know, now we've extended it to that 200 meters of strike extent by 120 meters of width. By the way, that's, that is a wide, wide zone. That is some, some serious tonnage there for sure. Um, but most exciting about that area is that if you look between the Gamma Island Fault and our property boundary, which is 2.6 kilometers away, as of today, we do not know of another major fault line between those two areas. And if you look at that plan view that we have, I believe it's on slide 18 or 17 of our deck, um, we have two major faults at Beta Hunt, the Alpha Island Fault, the Gamma Island Fault. Those truncate those zones, then they're a fault offset, and then they continue on the other side. Because we don't have a fault between there and the property boundary, there is no reason to expect or to argue that that trough, that nickel trough, does not continue for the entire 2.6. Now, we're not saying it does because we haven't drilled it off yet, right? But there's no major argument to say that it doesn't. So you have 2.6 kilometers of potential strike extent. Then reinforcing that right in the middle, one kilometer away from where we currently are, is a historical drill hole, a nickel drill hole, where 9.5 of 11% nickel was drilled. Exactly where you'd expect that trough to continue. So that is really, really good support that you know, at the very least, we need to, to come back to what you asked at the beginning, how aggressive are we going to be? We are going to be very aggressive. We are currently limited by the amount of ventilation that we have down there. Uh, we cannot get you know a major mechanized jumbo down there just yet, um, but we will be uh, you know accelerating that as we brought in ventilation to the the Larkin area. We'll be bringing more ventilation down there and really accelerating accelerating that over the course of this year. Now, this is not going to be a 2022 event. We're not going to be tripling our nickel production in 2022. We put that guidance out. That is our guidance for this year. 2023 could be a different story. Once we understand the scope and scale of that nickel resource that we have at the end of the second quarter, we use that as the basis for our mine planning going forward. And then we will be providing you know, later this year, early next year, 2023 guidance on nickel, which will, based on the, on the uh, you know, what we're seeing today, be a step up from what we're doing in 2022. So certainly a good um, economic driver for us, both in gold and in nickel. So, so I put, the, put that in terms of people understand. So how much money are you spending on it? How many drills turning, you know, and maybe even as a percentage of your efforts, what's it mean? 
Yeah, so we, uh, we, you know, that is a big portion of our, our budget this year. Um, it is some an area that we're spending several million dollars in. Remember, we've got $20 million to spend right across our properties. We also have Higginsville, uh, you know, a small property to the south of us that we're drilling aggressively. And, you know, just an interesting fact about that, we have been uh, saying for probably about a year and a half, uh, that is the second largest coverage on the Kalgoorlie Belt. We recently confirmed that it is actually the largest property on the Kalgoorlie Belt. So Coral Resources owns more land than any other company on the Kalgoorlie Belt, which is something that's pretty cool for a company of this size, uh, even if we are now a billion dollars. So just to come back to the 50C, uh, yeah, we're spending uh, several million dollars there. Uh, we currently have one drill turning there. Uh, we will look to accelerate that um, based on obviously success. We do have need for our drills in other parts of the uh, parts of the property, uh, and we continue to expand our, our resource base at, at Larkin, at A-Zone, at Western Flanks. But it is interesting. It is interesting. And based on you know continued success, we will accelerate um so just be- before we go over to the, the the kind of net zero side of things can you just again just remind us i want to leave us with the thought like what are the big moments that we're looking for in 2022 and what are the big moments in 2023 you mentioned that a nickel is the 2020 well it's a 22 and 23 story but just leave us with those kind of headlines if you can yeah. So in terms of, uh, you know, things to watch out for in 2022 and 2023 on the nickel and the gold side, uh, we have, uh, you know, the, obviously the gold resource update at the end of the quarter, we have a nickel resource update coming by mid-year on the 50C, the 10C and the 30C. And we will be using that as the basis for our mine plan for nickel to then provide 2023 guidance, which will come towards the end of the year, early next year. Um, and that should be a step up based on what we're currently seeing versus the 2022 nickel guidance that we put for the first time ever as Quora uh, quite recently. Brilliant. Thank you. Nice summary. Right. Last year, you reached carbon neutrality, it says It says in the big headlines here, um, <laughs> you, working with a company called uh, the Net Zero Company. And I, and I, we're seeing more and more of this. We're seeing companies using, uh, you know, wonderful phrases like, you know, with the carbon sequestration on projects, they're trying to be carbon neutral, uh, you know, net zero everywhere. All these phrases kind of get conflated with each other. And I'm trying to understand, is this just a marketing ploy or, how, or just how real is it? So why yeah. did you think it was important for Acrora Resources to be carbon neutral? What does that do for you? What does it do for uh, investors? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, aside from, you know, depending on what your view is on on the, the whole conundrum we're currently in, uh, when it comes uh, to the actual, uh, you know, the market side of things and why this is important to get ahead of this and why we were, you know, we started work on this in early 2021. We made our first announcement in mid 2021, but our work started, you know, more than a year ago on this because we, we saw where trends were going. Uh, most importantly, we saw re- where capital flows were going and, you know, hint, it's ESG, uh, ESG focused investments. Um, and we wanted to get ahead of it. And we did. So um, that first announcement of the partnership with the Net Zero company, uh, who actually put out a press release rebranded to Invert fairly recently. It's part of a, part of a larger ecosystem. Um, very happy to be working with them. Uh, we've now made that first announcement of the partnership mid last year. That actually turned quite a few heads, not only in the investment community, but also with other corporates that said, hey, who are these guys that you're working with? What is this statement? What did does it mean? Because there is a lot of confusion around it, right? And everybody's slowly coming up the curb of education. Then in the in the uh, the fall, we announced carbon neutrality for uh, 2021. 
uh, via investment in an Australian um, afforestation and conservation project. Uh, you know, importantly for us and very importantly for the story, and, and obviously people who are mining investors will understand the importance of this, was on local land, it was on Indigenous land and employed Indigenous peoples, which is part of, you know, the impact that we want to have, not to the least of which to mention, you know, part of the recovery from the 2019 bushfires that we saw in Western Australia. But to take that a step further, so it's not just about uh, investing in, in potential offset projects. We are working with the net zero company, or now Invert, on a long-term emissions reduction plan. So that is evaluating a whole suite of, of technical changes, of decisions that you need to be making, of uh, you know information that you need to incorporate into future capital allocation decisions. Uh, so we're evaluating everything from power generation. Look, Higginsville is a diesel genset power site, right? There's a lot of things you can do with that. So we're evaluating various power options there. Um, we are going to be expanding Beta Hunt, as everyone knows. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we're going to be expanding Beta Hunt. Uh, to two, 2 million tons per annum. That's going to require uh, you know, additional fleet uh, and uh, an expansion of the fleet. So we're looking at fleet options there as well. Um, we're looking at uh, potential biodiesel fuels. So this group we're working with to develop that long-term reduction plan, that will work hand-in-hand -hand with sequestration investment in order to reach what we call carbon neutrality and then ultimately to reach net zero. Why does that matter in the market? Now, for market investors, you know, if you, anybody pulls up an article on ESG capital flows, perfect example is the Net Zero Asset Managers Alliance. So the Net Zero Asset Managers Alliance is a group of the world's largest uh, controllers of capital that have stated that their investee or their portfolio companies must be investing in this space. In December of 2020, when we first started doing some work on this, it was about $9 trillion in AUM. It's a big number, right? Today, it is $57.5 trillion. That is over half of the world's actively managed funds are now mandating this to their investee companies, all the biggest asset managers in the world. You know, the Invesco's of the world, the Fidelity's, the BlackRock. By the way, BlackRock has now been buying even more of our shares than they owned previously. That's right. BlackRock is investing in Core, which is a big, big deal because we are going down this pathway, because we have shown initiative, not just in, in carbon, but right across the ESG space. So a lot of this is going to tie into, we're not going to have a defined plan yet. This takes a long time to work through, but we're going to be updating the market on this in our inaugural ESG report, which does come out at the end of this quarter. Um, you know, that is an important document for a lot of these large investment firms. So this has led to us getting additional investment from major institutions. Some of them I cannot mention because they have not filed, but a very large US institution is a two and a half billion dollar mining fund was a lead investor over the course of the fall and into this year, was a big reason why a lot of that liquidity was being soaked up in the low $4 range. Um, so it has led to meaningful uh, purchases of our shares and provided that basis for the increased share price that we've seen over the last period. So new investors, it's very, very important to track them by showing that you're going down this initiative. Um, then a lot of these solutions we're looking at on site are actually cost positive now. What does cost positive mean? It means that there's a lot of decisions you can make that are linked to sustainability that actually have a positive IOR and are ROI, sorry, ROI, and are better than their diesel and combustion engine counterparts. A lot of electric vehicles um, are actually you know, superior now to diesel uh, you know, com or combustion engine counterparts. A lot of power solutions actually make more sense. They have a lower per kilowatt hour uh, charge. So a lot of these things are starting to shift with techno technology advances. And we've engaged the net zero company or invert to help us work through that. So we take it very seriously. Um, it does drive, uh, you know, return for us internally, even if we were a private business, we would be doing this. Uh, but certainly in the market, it's translated to 
significant additional buying and increased share price, which we're all happy to have. Well, it's, it's interesting because it, it, it felt certainly like a year ago, it was a case of, I'll go buy some um, carbon offset credits and then I'll see you next year. Thank you very much. It was very, very similar. You're talking about it's integral to how the business operates and every facet of the company operates. That's interesting. Yeah. And, you, and, yeah, and, 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 and it's not going to cost you any more than it does now. Yeah. So the idea is, I mean, look, we, we all know where the, where the carbon markets are going. Um, so the important thing is when you're, you know, you talked earlier about being a billion dollar business, you know, I sort of translate that into being a more mature business and, and thinking about the future here. You now have to, every business does, doesn't matter if you're, in, you're mining or if you're in a completely different sector, you have to start building in the price of carbon into your business planning. There are tax regimes. Canada is a perfect example. You know, Canada has a federal carbon tax. There's tax regimes that cover multiple sectors here, right? Uh, there's tax regimes that co cover multiple jurisdictions. So building that carbon price into your future planning is something that you need to do. And that's something that the net zero is helping us do because inaction will lead to significant further cost. And so if you're planning ahead to find a way to, let's say, secure a future cost of carbon and to reduce your carbon bill by reducing emissions that allows for you know very smart future planning in the current business environment see it's working for you you think it will work for oil other companies in the mining space will need to consider something like this they will need to approach a net zero company to change the way that they behave if they want if they are to get the investment that they want from the bigger funds Simple message. Yep, absolutely. It's it, it's now, I mean, the, the investment landscape's uh, completely changed. You know, uh, fund managers I talked to when, you know, I was previously at GMP Securities as a research analyst, guys I talked to, you know, four or five years ago that would, you know, invest in this in a heartbeat are now, have, they now have their hands tied by their investment committees and they need to meet certain ESG related criteria. Carbon is now one of them in order to invest in scale and in size. Again, BlackRock's a perfect example. They started off with a small toehold off the back of a lot of this. Uh, they've increased their position meaningfully. So it does matter. Okay. So we'll look out for Invert or Net, the Net Zero Company, as, as they're also known. Um, look, I appreciate today, uh, your time today, Oliver. I know you've got a dash. You've got another call uh, to do. We will hopefully see you soon. Learned a lot more about how this thing uh, moves forward. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much.